Welcome to the Reno County Range, a new podcast venture for Kansas State Research and Extension in Reno County. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. A.J. Tarpoff got all three of his degrees from Kansas State University and spent some time in Canada as a feedlot veterinarian. Uh, today with me is Dr. A.J. Tarpoff, uh, extension veterinarian. You can introduce yourself and others. <laughs> Everything else you have, you do a lot. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, A.J. Tarpoff, uh, beef extension veterinarian, uh, associate professor in the animal science department here at Kansas State. And I, yeah, I, I get to do a little bit of everything. <laughs> so uh, extension, uh, you know, just uh, out in the field, uh, you know, producer education, uh, but also do some research, uh, do some applied research, mostly at our case uh, uh, beef stocker unit, uh, do a lot of arrival cattle stuff, uh, different management that, that we might uh, do some research on. And also do a little bit of teaching here on campus. I've got a disease course that I teach for, uh, you know, junior and senior undergrad students and, uh, it's grown in popularity, and it's it's a lot of fun to be able to interact and teach the next generation of cattle producers. Yes, sir. It's kind of the nice part about extension. No two days are alike. Yeah. Oh, there the, there are no two days alike. It's uh, you never know what questions are going to come in, or uh, you know how how we can be resourceful and, and and spread the you know the good scientific knowledge to be put in the hands of of our producers to help them be better and make better decisions. And that's really our goal. And that's the goal of this podcast. Uh, with spring calving underway, what are some considerations you advise these producers to have or keep caution of? Uh, so, you know, th things to be on an outlook for or uh, what type of tools and things to have on hand. Uh, uh, this first question is kind of just what could do they need to look for? Uh, our next question is actually what tools do they need to have on hand? Oh, okay. Well, I, I was I was going a little bit, uh, uh, you know, put the uh, cart in front of the horse, so to speak. But no, so it, you know, a lot of our producers are either just starting or in the middle of calving season or getting ready to start calving. And I think some good information or some good things to keep in mind are uh, some of those critical cases. If you're getting ready to start calving, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of producers, a lot of veterinarians. It seems like the first handful that hit the ground that might come a little bit early. Uh, that might catch you off guard. And many of those, you know, some of those circumstances, they might be twins uh, or even triplets in some circumstances. Uh, but I, I want to always keep in mind, you know, producers should always keep in mind that if, if you are assisting with a cabin, always get in the habit to go back in, reach back inside the uterus to make sure there's not a second. Uh, so many, many times we run into those. It's like, oh, you know, hey, she capped on her own. And you go out and, you know, a half hour later, and there's a second one that uh, might have been stillborn or wasn't, uh, didn't quite make it out all, all the way. And it's like, well, if we're there, make sure we double check for twins. Okay. <laughs> I think that would be the first one. Uh, number two is, you know, we've got, uh, you know, we've got weather volatility. We're really dry right now in most areas of the state. So we don't necessarily have the, uh, the mud issues, but Keep in mind, we can still get cold stress calves, even, you know, even if the weather isn't, uh, we don't foresee it, it's not negative 30 by any means, but we're, if we do have enough moisture in the air, um, we have a pretty stiff breeze, we can get chilled calves pretty quick. Uh, 
so I, I really want to throw out, carry, you know, and this, this might go into the next question, but carry a, a thermometer, uh, a rectal thermometer for some of these newborn cats that if they're, you know, if they're a little bit dopey, if they aren't getting up and moving, if you're concerned, if they, they look dried off by the mother, if they're not really thrifty, uh, just keep in mind, you know, an easy way to assess, you know, if they are chilled or not is take a rectal temperature. If they're below about 101 or so, uh, then, hey, maybe the best thing for that cat is to get them up, get them warm uh, before we go to plan B or C or whatever else to try to try to look after the well-being of that cat. So uh, keep an eye out for twins. Uh, keep a, a rectal thermometer to, to, to address any type of cold stress on our cattle. Um, other things to keep an, keep an eye out for. Uh, the oddball cow or heifer that just keeps straining, keeps straining, but nothing is happening. Uh, so time frames. If if you've got a cow, she's been straining, she's her water bag broke, but nothing, she hasn't made progress. Anything after, if it's been a half hour and she's not making progress, time to assess. Okay, don't be afraid to pull that trigger. If she's obviously in active stage of calving, the water bag has come out, it's broken, you can see some of the membranes hanging out. Don't be afraid to intervene, especially our mature cows. Uh, they should be very efficient. If it's been a half hour, 45 minutes, she has not pushed that calf through the birth canal. Uh, time to figure out why. So, um, I, boy, I'm thinking of uh, other things off the top of my head. Uh, not sure about you, Marcus, but uh, it's, yeah, I mean, those are some of the big ones. Uh, you know, other things to keep in mind, just general general things in, in uh, calving is be prepared for restraint. You know, these cows, they, you know, you know they're, they're stressed, okay? They're under quite, quite a bit of, of stress and adrenaline going through their system with uh, trying to push out a, you know, 80-pound calf, right? Uh, Many times we have to intervene and may not be the most perfect place. It may not be a beautiful calving facility that's heated and has a nonstick floor and, uh, you know, all, all the way out the nines. But uh, we do need to be prepared to be able to restrain these, uh, these cows if we have to intervene for our own safety and for their safety, whether that be out in the pasture, in a paddock, uh, you know, tied off the, you know, the back end of the pickup or the, you know, the ranger, whatever you have available. Um, you know, so having, you know, the rope, making sure that you might have a halter or use that uh, rope to be able to loop over the nose to be able to use as a halter, uh, you know, so we can we can restrain these these girls if we have to. Yeah, some of that stuff reminded me of the, some of the stuff you talked about in your calving school about restrain to keep yourself safe. <laughs> yeah, no, and it really is. I mean, I've known a lot of uh, veterinarians, cattle producers, you know, done it for years and, you know, got got injured due to one of these special circumstances that uh, cow got spooked, something startled it, uh, wasn't properly restrained. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of those situations. I, I, I bet a lot of producers, if you ask them through the state, if they know somebody that, you know, might've gotten injured trying to assist a cow, uh, you know, that if, if the danger is real, we always have to keep that in the back of our minds. So going with this same thing, what are all the other things you're supposed to have on hand when things don't exactly go the way you want? Well, I, and so uh, preparedness, I think, is critical. Being ready to assist when you have to, but having, uh, you know, the tools available. I, I, I don't think that's necessarily planning for the worst. I think that is preparing for the best. And, 
that those preparations on just having the basics on hand, and, and I call it kind of that uh, calving kit, so to speak. And and even though it's the quote unquote calving stick, or uh, you know the, the the calving stash, it's it's for more than just calving. It's for taking care of the newborn baby calf. It's for uh, addressing any issues with the cow. It's for warming the calf up or intervening in some of those. So it's kind of that whole process before and after calving that we have we have a kit so to speak that's that, that's ready to roll and I, I guess I'll, I'll share with you uh, with folks that uh, what I like to keep in that calving kit so to speak I, I like to use a cooler believe it or not uh, you know just kind of a mid-size uh, plastic cooler with a big handle over the top of it I mean they're cheap they're readily available they're easy to clean out uh, but I, I really like the cooler because I can throw things in that I need to keep temperature controlled that won't, I don't want it to freeze. Well, I can throw it in that cooler and it'll keep it warm all day. So in that, that really kind of gives me a leg up. And, you know, if I don't know what the weather's going to be, or if I have to throw this uh, cooler in the back of my pickup, and uh, if I'm going to be out in the pastures and doing whatever else, I don't have to worry about some things freezing. That having it in the cooler goes a long way. Uh, man, it's just, it's easy to tote around. So if I jump out of the truck, I got one thing to grab. I don't have to go digging through the back seat of my pickup to try to find something. I've got it all, all in that cooler. And in that cooler, some things that I, I, I all, always keep on hand and usually keep a couple of, a couple of sets of is one, I'll have either calving chains or calving straps. Okay. Uh, you know, we need something if we're going to assist a cow uh, just to be able to get a hold of the calf's legs, if we're going to help deliver that calf, we do need to have something, some, something to, to, to latch onto that calf. Because very few of us have the hand strength or the crib strength to grab onto, you know, some wet, uh, wet calves' hooves that are coming through the birth canal and to be able to pull and be able to manipulate like we should. So, uh, calving chains, calving straps, I'll always put clean sets in. After I've cleaned them, disinfected them, let them dry. I, Usually throw them in little Ziploc bags and just toss them in the bottom of the, uh, the calving box. Uh, other things I'll have is usually chain handles. So they have like the little uh, uh, metal handles that you can just grab onto. You can get better leverage because uh, nothing's worse if you forget a you know the chain handle and you've got to try to pull the chain with your bare hands or your gloved hands and it just digs into your fingers and you can't get any leverage. Uh, so something as simple as you know remembering to throw in. Uh, you know, two chain handles to be able to, to be able to pull and manipulate that calf. Um, other things, towels, basic things. Towels, uh, usually keep, keep some big beach towels. If I, you know, pull a calf out, I start to have to get it to start breathing, dry it off. I wrap it in a big towel, uh, clean it off a little bit before I can get it back with its, uh, you know, back to its mom or if we're going to be separated for a little bit. Uh, you know, that, those are some simple things. Um, other things, I'm thinking off the top of my head, uh, lubricant. So OB lube. It is if you're going to be inter, you know intervening with a calving, that is that is a rancher's best friend it's to have a you know a gallon jug of OB lube to be able to lubricate the inside of the birth canal, lubricate the hair. The hair causes a tremendous amount of friction coming through the birth canal. Uh, so something as simple as using general use OB lube gallon of it in your in your calving box uh, can really help some of those uh, those calving situations where either she's uh, you know it, it's been a little bit she's been straining for a little bit and we need to intervene right away it'll help speed up that process 
or just any regular routine calving just reduces the friction, reduces the amount of impact on that cow. Uh, so yeah, a general OB lube, you know, don't, don't leave home without it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, some of the, the early neonate, you know, uh, you know, situations. What if we have to uh, tube a calf? If we need to separate that calf. I don't always carry a, a esophageal tube and, or a bottle with me out in the field. Uh, and I, I would assume most, most producers and most ranchers are the same way. We end up loading up the calf, taking it back to the house, warming it up, and getting the colostrum out, getting everything mixed. It's seldom we do that in the field. Uh, so I don't always have some of that stuff on hand out in the truck with me, but I, I, I do try to tote around just kind of the basics to at least get through the situation. Um, uh, so some of, some of the not great situations, we do have a difficult cabin. If you are going to use something like a calf jack or a calf pulp, uh, making sure that you have that with you and it's functional. And if, if something seized or something broke on it last year, it's repaired before the season. <laughs> so and not with Balin twine. And not with Balin twine. Making sure that it works appropriately the way that it should. And it, it's it's usually we never check its status until we absolutely need it. And then it, it just brings more stress to an already stressful situation. So so ha have a good assessment of what, you know, even if you're in the middle of calving season, hey, you've got, I know it, it's hard to come by with time, but hey, all right, I'm halfway through calving. I'm, you know, in between cycles. All right, reassess. Let's take an inventory of what I've used, what's been broken down, what needs fixed before the next slug of calves comes through. So it's it's good to keep those things in mind. Well, in your calving school, going back to the lube, uh, that powder lube, JB lube, is that what it was called? Oh yeah, J lube. Yep. Just the consideration so, with that. Yeah. So it, it's uh, yeah. So that there, you know, some of the concerns with. Uh, you know, there, there's different types of lube. There's a, uh, uh, oh, it's, you know, general OB lube is, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's great. It's, you know, if there's a small pair in the uterus, not a big deal. Uh, but I, I, I do want to bring in into your attention that uh, there is different types of lubrication that, uh, oh, what it's, it, it comes in a powder. So it's a, it's a powdered lubricant. It's called, it's a dry lube that you can actually, it's a powder you can work it into it. Um, you know, that, that lubricant is amazing in a lot of circumstances, really handy. But if even a tablespoon of that dry lube gets into the abdomen, it can cause a pretty nasty reaction called, called peritonitis. Uh, so we do throw that warning out that if, if you're going to use that type of lubricant, yes, it's very handy. Just keep in mind, if there's, damage to the uterus where we have leaking into the abdomen of the cow, it can be extremely detrimental to the cow and even kill her potentially. Uh, the other place where that comes into play is if you take your, that cow to get a C-section done by your veterinarian, let them know what kind of lubricant you use. <laughs> so they have to take even more caution to make sure none of that leaks in. So after you get the calf on the ground, what are some of the considerations you want to do uh, when that calf's on the ground? And if it's dummy or if it's just not breathing, what are the things they need to do? Yeah, so step one, trying to get the calf to you know breathe. That that if it, everything else doesn't matter if that calf doesn't take its first breath. So um, you know I, I try to mimic mother nature as much as possible. 
and try, once that calf hits the ground, you know, this is a situation where maybe I had to intervene, so I'm there immediately. Uh, I roll the calf over onto its chest. I want it sitting upright. Um, make sure there's nothing occluding its, its, its nose or its mouth. I'll clean out its mouth, clean out its nostrils. Just make sure there's no mucus or anything just kind of stuck to it. Uh, then other than that, I kind of do what the mama cow does. It, it, you know, she's over there nudging it around, licking it off. This is where I grab my leech towel, uh, you know, and I start, I, you know, you're moving the calf around, uh, keeping its head free and clear to make sure there's, a, uh, you know, easy access to be able to breathe. But it's the neural stimulation that really gets them to start breathing. Uh, sometimes you can stick a piece of grass up, up, you know, up the calf's nose. To get it, you know, it's just that stimulating, uh, you know, stimulation of the brain is what, Kind of kickstarts that breathing process on its own. Uh, you know, we don't recommend hanging the calf upside down. You know, for years it's oh, you, know, you got to get the fluid out of it. But uh, in reality, the the lung, uh, as soon as as soon as that calf is born, that lung is actually closed. Uh, so none of the air spaces have ever had to open up. So that first breath, we start to open up those air spaces to allow air to come in. So we hang them upside down. Uh, any fluid that comes out is is generally coming from stomach, not, not the lungs. And on top of that is, you know, the, the diaphragm has to contract and push all of that abdomen organs just for that calf to breathe. So it's kind of counter, it, it is counterintuitive to hang them upside down. Uh, the biggest thing is keeping them upright, uh, keeping them on their chest, neural stimulation to allow that calf to start breathing. Uh, and going with the veterinarian stuff, uh, it's, I'm assuming it's important to have the veterinary uh, client patient relationship with more than just the vaccine programs, but even when you're in the middle of calving. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, calving season, it, I mean, that's, that's one of the critical times of year, uh, you know, where, you know, who, who's your veterinarian, you know, do, do, do they know you're calving? Do they know who you are? Do they know where your operation is? You know, if, if there's an emergency, you know, that, that's, that, that's the producers go to. Um, you know, the, the veterinarian isn't there just for, you know, I, I've had this conversation with some folks before. It's like, ah, if I have to take a cow for C-section, you know, it's, it, it's usually a, you know, a really bad deal and never ends up very well. It's like, whoa, time out. How long did you wait before you made that phone call? Well, might've been a little bit longer than what I should have. And, you know, we, we have to get beyond that. You know, yes, veterinary care isn't free, but look at what's at stake. You know the health and well-being of a newborn calf. That it could be the difference between getting a live calf or having a still stillbirth and delivering a dead calf. You know, so that's a real expense. That's something we really need to keep an eye on. Uh, but also the health and well-being of that cow. Uh, some of these circumstances, depending on what it is, it truly could be a life or death matter for both the cow or heifer and the calf. Um, and we, you know, we look at today's market prices and everything that, yes, a vet, a vet call coming out to the operation is an expense, but, uh, you know, look, look at what potentially could be lost with, you know, potential loss of hair. Um, so time is of the essence. And, you know, and, and it is our duty to, to make sure that we give the utmost care for the animals under our, uh, under our watch. And I think a big part of that is understanding when to call for help. Uh, you know, calling call the veterinarian doesn't mean you failed at something. Calling the veterinarian means you're taking that extra step to ensure the health and well-being of those animals. Uh, you know, so again, you know, don't be afraid to assess and try to try to manipulate a cat, calving that's not going so well. Uh, but know your own limitations. 
you haven't been able to make progress on some of these cannings in, you know, a half hour, it's time to call for plan B. <laughs> it's time to call, uh, it's time to call the vet. Because um, the earlier we make those decisions, the better, the more options the veterinarian has at their disposal and the better outcome it'll be for, uh, you know, everybody involved. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the veterinary client patient relationship, it's, it's having that good contact, you know, when they, when you call them, you know, they, they know who you are and what's going on, where you're at. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's more than just, uh, Hey, I need a VCPR and a vet on file to get prescription drugs. That's, that's not what a VCPR is, is, you know, the veterinary and client patient relationship is really, you know, having that veterinarian as a valued member of the, of the, the management team to work with a producer, to work through herd management, disease management, calving management uh, for the overall, pro uh, you know, profitability of, of the entire year. And, you know, so, you know, don't be afraid to utilize the veterinarian's expertise in these areas uh, to be able to help you get through the year. Well, that's the thing. I was like, it's even like with extension, it, being an agent, they need the most information they can to help you. Oh, Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, the, the more information, the more that we understand the whole circumstance, uh, the better directed and the quicker we can come up with what needs to be done in any given circumstance, whether it's uh, dealing with some type of health issue or, you know, coming up with preventative management or dealing with a calving, knowing where everything is. I mean, it's uh, the more information, the better. And that, that's where having that clear and open communication line uh, with your veteran helps you know streamline a lot of these situations so the next question is kind of three questions in one but like when do you need to process the calves and how do you handle the vaccine and implants oh okay yeah so yeah that you know further down the road we've uh, you know we've uh, had the pregnancy we delivered the calf the calf got off to a good start uh, you know hit the critical amount of colostrum got good colostrum intake early in life that really acts as that calf's immune system for the first couple months, but, you know, when do we start utilizing some of our, you know, animal health products like uh, vaccines? When would we implement some of those things? All right. Well, uh, in most of our cattle operations for, for beef cattle, especially, is, uh, you know, assuming they get proper amounts of, of colostrum, we do very minimal with them at birth. Uh, there are some, uh, there are some operations that may have more, uh, more health issues on, on specific things where they might have to administer something soon after birth. Uh, but for, for the general consistence at birth, we're pretty hands-off. And I know some producers out there, it's like, well, well, I, you know, I've been taught, I've been told I need to give uh, something for clostridium, you know, right, right after birth. And again, I don't know your exact operation, but if you're telling me that, that means you had some circumstances that's either it's in your soil in your area, it's in your region, that that would be a necessary tool to be able to utilize. So that's where it goes back to, you know, working with your local veterinarian to understand those risks. Uh, but in, in reality, uh, the first time we handle these animals, what we go to is, you know, branding time, so to speak. And, you know, I, I know not every producer brands, and that's not what, we, what we're talking about today, but what we are talking about today is that time frame. Branding time, in my mind, is the first time we'll gather those animals, work those calves, maybe work the cows, and it, it's it's that period of time of about two to four months of age 
uh, two to three months of age, one to four months of age sometimes, uh, depending on how long our, our, our calving time is. Uh, but it's usually before spring turnout, before we go to grazing, right? It, usually we're getting them in, we're working them, we already have them close to a facility, so we're going to do whatever needs to be done. And so that's what I'll refer to as branding time or going to grass. And for these these young calves, this is kind of a, this is a critical time. This is where their maternal antibody that they got as basically the birthday present from their mom, right? You know, so we have this maternal antibody starting to decrease. And this is also the same time that their own immune system is developing and it's kind of ready to start taking over the main responsibility of protecting that calf. So that's kind of a time that, you know, it's a good time to, you know, interact with that immune system, challenge that immune system in a controlled way to have a higher amount of protection against some of our diseases we're most concerned about. And those diseases are what, what you know, we attribute as uh, potential causes or contributors to bovine respiratory disease. Okay, so calf pneumonia. And so the main players are some of our viruses, uh, IBR, uh, BBD. Uh, BRSV, you know, you'll see kind of our modified live five-way or our killed five-way type products that you'll see. Uh, you know, there, every pharmaceutical company has some of these five-ways, but it, it's that that five-way is our virus. So the viral diseases that impact our cattle herds, we that's what we try to start building protection against very early in life, uh, even at that branding time. Uh, the other diseases that we would have concern with, with this calf, you know, uh, going out into the grazing environment for the first time, its first grazing season, is uh, clostridials. So um, I'm sure uh, folks that have been ranching for a long time remember the days of seeing blackleg and tetanus and, you know, all of these uh, clostridial diseases. The, those diseases, they, those bacteria live in the soil. They're all over the place. So we, they're called, you know, ubiquitous. That means they're kind of everywhere. Well, if they're going to be grazing on dirt, chances are they can become exposed to some of these organisms. So thankfully, we have very effective, uh, you know, we have very effective vaccines. And those would be our black lake vaccines. These would be seven ways, eight ways. We even have nine ways now. Uh, so we kind of have two different products, our, our virals we're trying to protect against, and then our clostridial black lake, traditional seven-way, eight-way, that we're trying to get some of those protection to those cats before going to grazing. So usually it's a combination of both. Usually they're getting both of those uh, products branding to get them off to a good start. Um, and then followed up once we get close to weaning, depending on management, you know, ideally if we could get a, a second round, a second dose of those products uh, before weaning, before the stressors of weaning, so we can better prepare that immune system, you know, that's ideal. Does that work for absolutely everybody? No, no. And that's, and that's okay, but we are after that second booster you know, closer to weaning, before weaning by a couple of weeks, at, you know, at weaning potentially. Uh, but we, we are looking for that second dose uh, before the stressors of that next transition. So during that time frame of branding and weaning, how are we going to take care of those vaccines themselves? Oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, so vaccines, uh, you know, a couple of quick hitting pieces. If you're going to use a modified live. Okay, if you have to mix two different vials together with a transfer needle, you know, it, chances are it's, it's got a modified live component. Uh, when we mix those products together, the product is only good for about an hour. Okay, so that's where some prior planning and some realistic expectations from ourselves, because many of us might go out and work, 
we have smaller groups of cows spread out in the different pastures, right? So we'll go and work one pasture, and the, the second one, and the third. And we might only use small numbers, of small volumes of vaccine in each pasture. If we're going to do that, make sure we buy the appropriate bottles of the, that vaccine. If, if it's going to take some time, we're going to do a lot of smaller groups. You can buy five or ten dose vials instead of the big 50 dose vials. It, it gives us you know, the, the time, the opportunity to be able to do everything correctly in real amount of time without uh, potentially damaging the, those vaccines. Uh, the other thing is, is storage, okay? Storage of those vaccines is, is critically important. Uh, you know, they are an investment that we're trying to put into our animals. If we, you know, uh, if we don't handle that investment, you know, correctly, uh, we lose its value. And those vaccines do have to be refrigerated and kept at a very specific temperature. Usually it's 35 to 45 degrees Fahrenheit, okay? Uh, so again, it's like, ah, yeah, of course, it's in a fridge. It, it, it can it, it can maintain that temperature. That's not a big deal. Uh, well, I challenge producers to go get a, a fridge thermometer and put it in their their vaccine storage fridge and see how well your your you know your refrigerator out in the shop that's probably 20 to 30 years old, right? We need to be realistic here. Is it keeping temperature? Because if it gets too cold or it gets closer to freezing, and we freeze some of these products, especially our killed products. We freeze that, uh, it can cause some uh, major problems and even cause some reactions in our cattle. Um, and if it gets too warm, again, uh, you know, the modified live virus is a live, fragile virus. If it dies, we lose the e uh, efficacy of that product. Uh, so just some good, you know, basic quality control, making sure that we, if we buy it at the vets or if we bar it, you know, buy it at the farm shop or get it uh, drop shipped and delivered to us, making sure that it's cold whenever it shows up, making sure we get it into proper storage at our facility, whether it's, you know, it, it, it's in the house, it's out in the garage, wherever that is, that we check the tent, making sure that it's, stay, it, it's staying where it should. Um, and then out to the pasture, okay? We, won't, we don't want to take those vials and throw them on the dashboard of the pickup. We need to carry it out to the field when we're going to be processing and working these cattle, making sure that we have them in storage coolers, okay, that we protect them from sunlight. We protect it from dirt and grime and dust, and we keep it cool with some ice packs on the inside of those coolers, uh, you know, during transport, during storage, and then also going out in the field. And then when we mix them, again, we still have to use those modified live within about an hour. Well, and you were talking about going out to the pasture, even shoot side. I was like, I got a cooler behind me that I built for one of those shoot side coolers. <laughs> They're not hard to make. Oklahoma State has them on their website, and I'm actually about to make a video and put it on our Facebooks for a different design. Yeah, no, that and that that's what's uh, that that's what's really nice is I, I know a lot of folks would be like, oh, those vaccine coolers they're expensive, and unless somebody gives you one, you, you know, oh, they're 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 too expensive for that. Well, when you look at the investment of how much we spend a year to try to protect our calves, we want to maximize what we get out of those investments. We need to do our part to make sure they get into our animals. And that's where the storage, the handling, the administration is so critical with these animal health products to truly protect them. And, you know, the vaccine coolers you can make, you can take a, uh, you know, a, just a, a cheapo cooler and, you know, with nothing but a drill and a, uh, a circle bit and maybe some PVC and some spray foam, all of a sudden, hey, you've got, you, you've got a, a, a vaccine cooler that you can even put the, the multi-dose uh, injection guns 
You can slide those right in the PVC. It's got, you know, ice packs on the inside. You can keep other bottles uh, cool in there. Uh, you, you protect it from sunlight. All of a sudden, you've got something used for the next 10 years and with a really minimal investment. Oh, yeah. I was like, I think that barely cost like 19 bucks to make for that program I had <laughs> with RCCA. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and you can use them with just about anything. I mean, I've, I've seen some folks that kind of do it disposal. They take the, uh, you know, just the styrofoam coolers that they usually get from their veterinarian for transport and stuff. And they get it, they take it straight shoot side and cut a couple holes and put the PVC in. And that they just know they're going to throw it away after that one use. Uh, all the way to other ones that, uh, you know, get a de- decent sized cooler that they'll like, but it can only give you know, maybe 15 bucks or so, and then they drill the holes and uh, then they make it last more long-term. And I've seen some folks even paint them up or put their own ranch logo on them. It's uh, some get pretty creative. with it. So with that, uh, records for calving and vaccines, I was like, they're important no matter what, but they need to be detailed too. Now, so, yeah, the record keeping when it comes to these, uh, you know, these, you know, the product use and everything else, uh, I, I like to explain it in a couple of different ways. Yes, we need we need to have good records on uh, dates when these animals were given certain products, uh, just for doing our own due diligence to keep track of things, making sure all, all our animals were, uh, you know, administered what they should have been, uh, but also for withdrawals. Okay, making sure that if, if uh, hey, we just vaccinated cows, something happened to a cow and we need to sell her. Well, we can't sell that cold cow until she's passed her meat. And keep in mind, most of our vaccines uh, may have a 21 day or even longer uh, meat withdrawal before we can sell her. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's like, ah, they're going to be out in the pasture. Well, we always have to keep in mind that what if situation, if, if we do have to sell her, uh, you know, for, Whole value, you know, really quick, and that wasn't pre-planned. Well, those situations happen, so making sure we have documentation on all that is very important. Um, other thing about you know keeping track, how how many of you have, have actually written down a lot number and expiration date and the title of what products you actually use? You know, it, very rarely outside of feedlots and some things like that that'll do that, but it's Documenting the lot number and the, and the product name and everything that you're using is very important. If there were to ever be some type of adverse event, if you had animals that had anaphylactic reaction or you know some type of response that wasn't anticipated from some of those those products, well, you have the information available. You turn that. You call your veterinarian. They can do they can do a follow up and actually take that back to the pharmaceutical company. And they'll do a big workup and make it, making sure, and it won't be at, a, at an expense to the producer, but this is to make sure that uh, the consistency and the quality of the products that are going out, if there were ever a problem, you know exactly who to contact and what products were utilized. Uh, so, it's, it, again, it's some of that kind of insurance that we document that. We know exactly what, in, what went into that animal and when. If there was ever a problem, we have, we have our basis. Uh, so they know what to investigate, know you know know what to have happen. Uh, so it's kind of an insurance policy for producers that if something was happening, you're covered because you know what you gave. <laughs> so, and uh, so yeah, and that that's one one way. The other thing to consider is uh, 
you know, verification programs. Okay. What about some of our preconditioning, uh, you know, pre-con verified, you know, there's a lot of different terminologies going through uh, superior livestock, having verification that they've had so many uh, rounds, so to speak, of different vaccines uh, or weaned animals. You know, so all those VAC 45, uh, VAC 35, VAC 60, pre-con, uh, you know, all of those verified kind of uh, value-added programs, you need to verify that those animals were given those, those products. So documenting that all the way through the process and having the third party, your veterinarian, being able to, you know, to document that, yes, they did administer these products on these given dates. Uh, you know, that really helps with, those, you know, those verified programs. Uh, one, you document. Two, you have verification through usually your vet that you can certify and make sure that tell the story of your cats. Yeah, you put these investments into them. Uh, don't be afraid to tell that story when you take it to the sale where we send them through special sales that, that are for some of these uh, value added animals. So it's uh, so not just for quality control on your own ranch, but you know, you're adding value. Don't be afraid to communicate that value. And it happens with documentation. Oh, you mentioned, uh, don't, you know, don't want to get too far, but you brought up implants. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now. So, uh, you know, do you want to talk about implants a little bit? Yeah, we can. Yeah, so uh, implants, uh, growth-promoting implants. You know, it's uh, as an industry, we've, uh, you know, that is one of the biggest pieces of technologies that had that's had the greatest impact of and greatest benefit impact on the cattle industry. Uh, they're safe. They're efficacious. They're reproducible. Every time we use them, we know how they're going to interact with the body. You know, they're small little capsules that are pellets we place in the just underneath the uh, skin on the on the flat side of the ear. Uh, you know, it slowly releases hormones. Like take our steers for example. Uh, you know, we castrate steers. Well, we whenever we put these growth promoting implants, we're replacing some of that hormone value to be able to interact with the body to grow naturally. Okay, so we're not we're not uh, you know this isn't you know we're interacting with the same mechanisms of naturally releasing growth hormone or interacting with the muscle structures themselves to actually grow more muscle more efficiently and effectively so we are producing more pounds of beef with fewer resources uh, by just using utilizing these technologies so very safe very effective uh, a lot of products we can use and sometimes that draws a lot of confusion with folks um, and I, I think one of the, the biggest, you know, lost opportunities that a lot of folks don't necessarily utilize is utilizing some of these growth promoting technologies, these implants. Uh, we have suckling calf implants that we can actually uh, give to these calves while they're on the cow. Okay, so for example, either you know, right at uh, branding time, we can administer an implant, and that calf will wean off more pounds every time. As, assuming that we give it appropriately, it will wean more pounds with no other inputs. There's no such thing as, as a free lunch anywhere in life. Uh, growth promoting implants is is about as close as we get. Uh, for every dollar that you spend on on an implant, uh, you get about a twenty twenty dollar return on investment. So it's a twenty one uh, twenty two one uh, return on investment, and that that's about as good as it gets, right? Um, so. You know, su suckling calf implants, there's a handful of them out there. 
uh, make sure that you follow the label directions. You know, we don't we don't go too aggressive. We just use the, the type of implant that's uh, for that class of production. So we don't put finisher implants in baby calves or vice versa. You know, we, we use the suckling imp uh, implants for the calf on the cow, and then we can use other products as they go through the production chain. Uh, but again, for, for a lot of our cow-calf operators, I know that it's the discussion is, well, don't I get paid more for having that, those hormone-free calves? And uh, the answer is, well, not necessarily, unless they're, you know, they're being sold into a specific program, uh, unless somebody's paying you not to, <laughs> um, you, you're leaving pounds in the game. Uh, so it, it, again, some some producers are already in verified programs. Uh, for the NHTC, non-hormone treated cattle, um, but just taking, you know, random cattle to the sale barn and that's not communicated, you know, you, you missed out on the opportunity of selling more pounds uh, that, and that's, we got to keep in mind what we get paid on. <laughs> um, I just want to add a little deal right there about the uh, hormone free deal, just for anybody that's listening in the County, that's not a producer. When they say hormone free, what they mean is, added hormones because if it's an organic <laughs> being it's going to have natural hormones no that's that, that's a, a great point so all living organisms produce hormones you and i uh plants animals uh you know whether they were castrated or not they are still releasing hormones hormones are natural and, and necessary for all all life on earth right so those hormones, again, we're, we're not creating abnormal pathways. We're just supplementing what the normal pathways are. And in the finished products, in the beef products, uh, it's a very negligible difference between an implanted steer versus a non-implanted steer. We're talking about a fraction of a nanogram, you know, per serving of beef. Now, a nanogram, say, a, a blade of grass and a football field. Now, when we look at, uh, you know, proportions, you know, a birth control pill that a female would take has, you know, hundreds of thousands of nanograms of, of hormone, while the implanted has a even less than one nanogram different. Okay, so that's where it's uh, everything has hormones, uh, you know, utilizing the products that we do, again, slow release pellet, you know, injecting these animals on a daily basis or anything like that. It's a slow release pellet goes into the system pathways, uh, you know, to, to grow the animal. Uh, so again, very safe, very effective, one of the longest used um, and best studied products that we have out there. Sorry, I just had to add a little bit no. of bag education right there. <laughs> you bet. Uh, so when will we use a uh, dewlap injection? Oh, yeah. So back to injections. Okay. So, yeah. So, uh, a dewlap injection, our, our, the beef quality assurance area for injections for cattle is the injection site triangle. All injections go in the injection site triangle. In front of the shoulder, it's on the neck, in front of the shoulder, uh, above the spine, below the nucleate. So it forms this nice triangle. Uh, that triangle is where we give all injections. Now, the concern has always come up is, uh, you know, what if we have a baby calf? and we have, might have to give more than one injection, we run out of space, okay? Uh, just because that injection site triangle, maybe on a newborn or a very young calf, is so small, 
you have to give more than one ingestion or more more than one product. Uh, you know, we lose access, we lose space. Uh, you know, for those circumstances, my number one go-to is give the injection on the other side. <laughs> so we, you know, cattle have two sides of their neck, so don't you know we do have access to give those injections on on both sides, and we do recommend splitting those up, especially if we're using different products to spread it out over over the area. Um, two, sometimes even doing that, we run out of space, and for subcutaneous injection, we can actually use. Uh, kind of the dewlap, it's just that that uh, that floppy skin, you know, below the neck. Uh, that we can potentially use that, but it's very rare we would truly use the dewlap, uh, you know, uh, location. It's just in that those small circumstances. What's the next safe location that we can give something? It would be there, but that doesn't mean it's not without its own danger. We have a lot of important structures that run that run at the bottom side of that neck. Um, you know, it's, you know, we've got the trachea, the airway, we've got the, the jugular veins and arteries. So, and the carotid artery. So we've got a lot of important structures. We don't want to get too deep, but if we do have to give another, uh, you know, a vaccine, low dosage, uh, just needs to go underneath the skin, we can tin out that dewlap and be able to give it uh, kind of right at midline where there's plenty of skin dropping down or not close to the internal structures, but it's kind of those one-off situations on, Hey, I ran out of space. Where's another location? And it's usually for those baby camps where we would run out of space. The last question I have on uh, injections is why are we moving to a one-handed technique? Oh, yeah. So, um, well, I, I, I guess everybody listening ought to ask themselves, uh, have you ever accidentally poked yourself with a, a vaccine needle while you were given injections? Okay. I know I have. Uh, go to the hospital, be put on antibiotics, my finger swelled up really bad, you know, it's, uh, but we have those circumstances. So uh, the one-handed technique, instead of, you know, the old tint the skin where you tint the skin out and then give the injection, uh, you know, we're moving away from that. And a lot of it is due to the, the human health safety aspect on making sure that we don't inadvertently inject ourselves with some of these, uh, these medications uh, or get just poked with a dirty needle. You know, that just came out of a cowhide that, you know, has the dust and the bacteria. So it, it's the it's the human safety. So instead of having two hands on the inside of the chute trying to give, you know, animals move it around, you have a sharp needle in one hand, you're trying to grab skin in the other. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity for mistake. <laughs> so uh, so what, we, what we've begun to start teaching is the one-handed technique uh, where you can, you know, if it's a reloadable syringe gun or just a syringe, uh, but instead of going in where you pull the skin out, you give, give it perpendicular, and where I am, you just put, go straight into the animal. It's kind of a split in between those two. We use a smaller needle. So we'll use a, uh, a half inch, a three quarter, a five eighths inch needle. Okay, so it's, it's not too long, but long enough to get through the hide. Uh, we come in at a slight 45 degree angle. Okay, so just that slight angle where we're not straight into the animal. And we're not too, we're not going to inject into the skin, but we will inject kind of at an angle where they, we have enough of that needle tip goes subdermal, dermal. So it goes into that subcutaneous area. But once we get into that location, you can actually move your injection site gun around a little bit, uh, that reloadable syringe that you know you can feel that you're not in the muscle, that you are in, in, in that subcutaneous area. You give that injection and it just disappears. Right? That, that's how it should work. Uh, 
uh, you're not too deep. You're not still stuck in the skin. You're right in that sweet area, that sweet spot. But you can still do that with the right technique with, with just one hand. Uh, you, and you take away that huge risk of potentially injecting yourself. So that, that's why we've uh, you know started teaching the one-handed technique more commonly, just because it, it's safer for cattle producers. Well, that's all I had, but I'll allow you to give your plug for uh, beef days. On March or Cattleman's 4th. Day. Yeah, Cattleman's Day on March 4th. Yeah, so, yeah, so March 4th, Friday, March 4th, uh, is uh, the 109th annual uh, Cattleman's Day. So Cattleman's Day has been a program that I, I, I've been involved with it ever since I've been here. K-State was involved with it when I was a, a student. Uh, this is a day we a big extension event and education time. We have a starting off in the morning, we have a big trade show. Uh, so we'll have uh, industry uh, sponsors and, and folks from all over industry come in so you can see what new products are available. There'll be some cattle shoots available that you can uh, look at. So uh, there'll be all types of different things available on the trade show. Uh, but then we get into some of the educational uh, sessions. Uh, I know it for a lot of folks, maybe it's been a while. They haven't been to uh, K-State in a while just due to COVID and the pandemic. Uh, but we, this is in person. So because it might have been two years since you've been on campus, uh, we are going to have a kind of an overview of what's new, what's exciting, what's happening, uh, you know, in, inside of our animal science department. Uh, so our department head, Mike Day, will give that. Immediately following, we're, we'll actually be talking, uh, actually, research updates from our own researchers, okay? Uh, you know, I, I want to make sure folks walk away with, and they know that the people in the animal science department, the researchers that are researching beef cattle, uh, this is the stuff we're researching from you. Okay, so we're going to kind of give updates on what's going on on the cow-calf side, rower, stalker, uh, you know, the feedlot, and also on the meat side. So you can see kind of behind the scenes what we're doing uh, to provide support and value for you. And then the the to kick uh, the in in the morning, uh, Dr. Glenn Tonser from Ag Econ. We've got an industry outlook and economic outlook for, uh, for the next year. Okay, uh, if, if those of you that haven't heard Dr. Tonzer uh, speak, it does an extremely good job. We'll always give some uh, good information. Uh, we'll see some different things on beef demand, the market updates on, you know, kind of the, uh, what's impacting it over this 2022 season. Uh, so we, we can have better tools going and see some of the projections as we go through this 2022 year. Uh, then we do have lunch, okay, sponsored by uh, U.S. Premium Beef. We will have smoked brisket. Uh, really excited about the brisket. Just got off the phone today that it's it's going to be in next, uh, uh, next week, so we'll have that get, starting to get uh, together and prepared for everybody. Uh, those of you that may not be eating meat on Fridays uh, this time of year, there will be a Cajun uh, catfish that will be available as well. Um, afternoon sessions, we split into three different rooms. I guess first I'll go over our uh, our uh, guest guest speakers. We have Jeff Becerra from the University of Oklahoma talking about some of the uh, client climate and weather outlook for 2022, kind of where we are in the climate cycle, uh, what to expect over this this coming season. And uh, we'll also have a in, in that same room immediately following. Uh, we'll have a member from the Kansas Highway Patrol uh, to be able to talk a little bit about the rules of the road, so to speak. To, you know, things are constantly changing and, you know, it's, we don't want anybody caught off guard by any changes on the, the highway laws in Kansas. So it'll be a good overview and a good reminder for a lot of folks on what's out there to make sure we don't run into any of those problems. 
Um, other two sessions, we will talk a little bit about uh, uh, the true differences of meat alternative, fake meat, and ground beef. Okay, it's uh, marketing teams want to portray meat alter alternatives as one thing, uh, but we looked at it on the science, uh, you know, to truly compare it. And it, it's 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 a great program. We did uh, some really interesting work to show the the stark differences between those products. And it'll be a good experience for, for producers to be able to truly witness that and understand, uh, you know, why we looked into it this way. And it's uh, that, that'll be a good one. And uh, to wrap up the day, uh, we will also have some reproduction discussions. Uh, two of our uh, reproduction physiologists, Dr. Cindy Johnson and uh, David Grieger, will be, uh, you know, talking about some research updates and and updates in, in the whole realm of reproduction, because if you're in the cow-calf industry, uh, reproduction is king, right? So uh, be able to go through all that, but also bring your questions, okay? So they will be available to uh, answer all, any and all questions coming from the crowd. So if you have any question re related to reproduction in your cow herd, whether it's AI, whether it's using different technologies, whether it's bull breeding, uh, choose them both. You know, it's all of that goes into it. Bring your questions. They'll be available to help out with that. So, and after that, I guess uh, I, I should bring up, there's two ancillary things going on around Cattleman's Day. Uh, March 3rd, uh, Thursday, the night before Cattleman's Day, there will be Stockman's Dinner. Uh, they, they'll be uh, honoring Stockman of the Year, Pat Coons. Uh, so there'll be a really nice meal, a steak meal, and a good get-together at, uh, at the Stanley Stop Center. Uh, now that's that's Thursday, Friday we have Cattleman's Day first thing in the morning, but immediately following Cattleman's Day, uh, we will also have the uh, Legacy Bull Sale. Uh, so that's our Animal Science Department Bull Sale. It'll be immediately following Cattleman's Day at four o'clock at the Stanley Staff Center. Uh, so for those of you that are looking for a bull or maybe buying some uh, some females, there there might be something for uh, producers to go home with if you want to throw your bid in hand. I well, appreciate your time, Dr. Tarpoff. Well, thank you for having me. It was a, it, it was a fun discussion. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to the Reno County Range. Be on the lookout for our next episode.